Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Today, our, our focus is on, uh, is on rest and uh, is specifically on, on worship. What does our worship look like together? And in, uh, in this corporate space, in this body, this growing body of, uh, of worship, we have been together uh, for approximately two and a half years, and uh, but really physically together uh, for uh, for less than that uh, since we started uh, online during a pandemic. But we also, uh, in reality, we're also in this this really exciting season where we've we've just we're just over one year where we've been worshiping week after week together. Uh, and what exciting uh, ways for us to, to get to recognize those rhythms together, those rhythms of life that, that God has embedded in our, our lives and, in our, uh, and even commanded us in his word to follow together. And uh, no time like, uh, there's, there was never a time in my life like what I experienced in 2020, where even as uh, even as clergy, one of the things that I uh, that I recognized the the most about uh, about the pandemic uh, among among well, I shouldn't say the most. Uh, there were so many things that I uh, that I experienced in the pandemic that were uh, specifically the times of quarantine that were so drastically new, and uh, and whether it be uh, suddenly not allowed to shake hands or even see people or go out in public uh, except to go on long walks. My wife and I uh, had a season where we would go, I think probably like as many as 15 or 20 miles in one day because we, we weren't legally allowed to do anything other than go on long walks. And if anybody, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm generally speaking uh, very comfortable with being by myself, but for Christy, it was she would see someone across the street. And be like, oh, hello, hi, and they looked lo- they looked lonely. I wanted to be their friend, but maybe they were just walking. And that's part of that's part of life. So, uh, but but the um, we experienced that sort of uh, different rhythm and different season in and of itself. But the one thing that I I, I recognize, especially, is corporate worship. What what would happen when we uh, at one point. Um, I was at a different church at that point, but I, I, we weren't allowed to have more than ten, as many as 10 people in the worship. And at that point in time, it was as much a production, a, a television production, if you will, uh, as much as it was a, a worship service. And so we had to have about five people physically present to to uh, make, the, make sure that we could stream that in the way that we needed to. And the, the uniqueness of that season meant that I uh, was on the chopping block and I couldn't be physically present. So as many as three or four weeks would go by and I, when I wasn't in, uh, in physical worship, even as one of the worship leaders. And there was this, 
this longing. There was this sense of well, there's something really strange about about it, it about uh, online worship. And as, as many of you know, that that was the only tangible uh, the tangible piece of worship that we had. And uh, as many of you have lived in contexts where you've, you're either outside of uh, you're uh, potentially in perhaps overseas or in contexts where worship isn't available in the same way. Um, the, the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder, really, really struck home for me. And, I, and I'd like to say, uh, prior to the pandemic, one of the things I always said was, oh, it just kind of feels like I'm just going through the motions today. I'm just like going through the motions. I didn't really feel like my heart was in it, you know, that, that my passion was in worship today. And after the pandemic, I've never been so happy to go through the motions. And I'm so grateful that we get to come and join in worship each week together. Uh, and I've never been so grateful for uh, the colics and the liturgy that we use each week because we're together, because we are, uh, we are in worship together. And one of the things we're doing together looking specifically at Amos chapter 8, one of the things we're doing together is we're joining together to honor the Sabbath rest. We're honoring the Sabbath rest. Uh, and the Sabbath rest is specifically purposed so that we can rest in God's word. So that's my main point today, so it's to rest in God's word. To rest in God's word. And if you would please join with me as a word of prayer uh, as we come together to the scriptures and to hear from God's word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the thoughts of my heart, the, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. May you join us and bring us into your rest once again, afresh and anew. May we join with you in your emotion, in your transformation, and your, uh, the project of redemption underway in our midst. Do a great work in our hearts. Bring us to recognize you as our God, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We notice that there is something amiss and um, with, within the context of uh, Amos, there's something amiss about the Israelites. Uh, the Israelites, of course, received the creation mandate in Genesis at the, at the point of creation. Uh, the creator, God, gave them the creation mandate to say, go, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And, and to, uh, to take the fruits of the land, to take the good creation that God has given and go and, uh, and use it, not abuse it, but to use it for your flourishing, for the, the flourishing of the people. And God, even after the fall, even after the fall of man, where, where, uh, where, the, where humans were prone to 
to wander away from that mandate, to rather abuse than to use for good and for merciful purposes that creation, God still continued to pursue those Israelites. He gave them the, his covenant. And in his covenant, he promised them, uh, he promised them that he would give them the land, the land and, and that he would give uh, in, with Abraham at in Genesis 12, he says, I will give you a, I will give you people and I will give you land. Go into the place that I will, I will show you and I will take you there. And um, the, the age of the prophets and specifically what we have here with Amos, Amos is a minor prophet. Uh, we're not clear exactly how long he prophesied. Some people say this was uh, just one time. He just came over one instance and gave his prophetic word. Uh, and uh, some people would say that it was a short amount of time that he was there prophesying to the people. And some pe people would say it's a much longer time. But uh, regardless of how long he was a prophet, he, he, he's much shorter than some of his other, um, his, some of his other colleagues in the prophetic office. But his, uh, where he's short on words, he is strong in, uh, strong in direct and one of the, uh, what the, the previous seven chapters leading up to this, uh, Amos is uh, in a way encircling the, um, encircling the Israelites, if you will. He's calling out the misdeeds of the people around Israel and uh, kind of setting them up subversively to land the hammer on Israel. And he, he lands the hammer, so to speak, directly at their own transgressions. In fact, their transgressions all the more egregious because they have a, a, uh, a law and a standard even more uh, than the people in uh, the midst of Israel. So when we get to chapter 8, uh, Amos is now directly speaking to the Israelites. And what he's saying is um, that that there is this, uh, there is this distortion that has happened. There is a, uh, there is a, um, there is a, he, the the order that God means to have, the standard that He has given is now flipped on its head. So I want to look at that together. Let's look at uh, verses four through six. Hear this: You who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying. When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of wheat? There's four things that I noticed in this that uh, that Amos is getting at, and really, if you, uh, the, the most obvious thing is that we're, we're seeing greed at work here. What is it that greed does? And I see four things in particular that, that greed in particular does to flip the creation purposes on its head. And the first is the desire. Desire is misplaced here. Um, we see the desire to to um, to to transgress, the, the desire to go beyond or even ignore what God has meant for our purposes. And, and this is something we all, all do in, in and of itself, but uh, the, 
you look at uh, verse five, and it's you can kind of even see this. Um, I, I I love Chick Fil A, and it always seems like it comes up on on Sundays that my craving for Chick Fil A is like at its peak. I'm on a road trip on a Sunday, and I'm like, yeah, Chick oh, Chick Fil A is closed on Sundays, and I'm not trying to get into any um, any political uh, debates about. About that, it's just I, I think it's it's striking for me specifically um, that Chick Fil A is closed on a Sunday because of their commitment to the Sabbath in a very direct sense. They, you know, the the, the Kathy family has decided that that is going to be a, a a a a commitment that they make. And I've thought about this in, from a from a money standpoint. Like, do you know how much profit you are losing out on? Closing on a Sunday, and like you could always get your non-Christian workers to to uh, to go there, and, and that way you wouldn't have to have anyone dishonoring the Sabbath. This very practical business mindset is kind of turning, and I see here um, in this in this way there's this there's a sense in, in which that that practical and and uh, and right and and good mindset that's operational the other six days. There's something uh, couched within that that actually God means for us to take our desire and shut it off on the Sabbath. And what we're seeing here is in verse 5, these people are, are doing just the opposite. He's saying that uh, when will the new moon be over? When, when will the time where I have to be off because it's uh, culturally all of the Israelites are, are they're not at the market, they're, they're at worship, they're bound by God's law, and yet instead of honoring God on that day, they're, they're yearning to go back to the market, they're yearning to go after the little bits of profit, or even perhaps that huge profit that they would be missing out on. Instead of shutting that down to honor the Sabbath, to honor the rhythms that God has not just asked them to honor, but commanded them to honor and to follow. So in and of itself, this is a transgression of God's law. This is evil. So the desire itself is problematic. The second thing I notice is that this, this uh, it's not just the desire, but it's actually the action. The, the, um, there's devouring of the poor and the needy. It's not just good business like selling chicken sandwiches or, or going to the market. It's not just good business, but also uh, it goes a step beyond that. Like how can I take advantage of those in my, in my midst? Uh, you see in verse 4 this idea of bringing the poor to an end. Uh, this verb, it, in, um, it it's almost has the sense of, of like uh, being a gobbler, someone who is so desirous for profit that they want to devour anything in their midst. They're even going to the point where they'll take the chaff of the wheat and go take it to the market and sell it in that manner. It, it's the, this, this sense of this, uh, this appetite so overwhelms and so overtakes them that they're not even willing to, uh, to hold off good and right business, but they're going beyond that. They're trying to find ways to distort it. The third thing I notice is there's a distortion of, of reality. There's a distortion of their very view of humanity. 
you look at verse 6, it says that they, buy, uh, they may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Uh, I don't believe that, um, that this concept, uh, it, the, I don't believe that they, the, uh, our own history in the United States uh, was in mind with Amos since it hadn't happened yet. Uh, but one of the things that I notice about our own history is that this, uh, the, the very foundations of our, of our nation founded <coughs> with an institution of slavery in, in it is, uh, it's, it is um, it's so clearly manifested, even right here in this verse, this concept of um, buying the poor for silver. Uh, in making, uh, distorting even the view of humans themselves, that, that it's not just that we want to be partners with other people, and it's not just that we even want to take advantage of them and, and cheat them, but we also, at some point, at some point, this, this greed so overtakes them that they are willing to even buy their own brothers and sisters, or even to purchase them and to see them as chattel, see them as a means to an end. And this is a uh, this is the uh, the slavery in in our own day is uh, is in view as well. We 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 all wrestle with this in how we respond, how we recognize our own, um, our own ability to, uh, to distort humanity or to distort our own vocations and see people uh, um, in ways and manners that we're not meant to. The, uh, the chapter even lends itself to um, whether it be uh, distortion of humanity for uh, in terms of sexual slavery or in terms of physical bondage, uh, regardless of how we manifest that, th these are uh, realities that uh, that we continue to wrestle with in uh, in our own day and even in our own culture and society. And that leads me to the last point that I see of, of how the creation is flipped on its head is, is deceitfulness. It's pure deceit. You see, too long has the creation, it's rebelled against the creator in, in such a way that, that God has declared humans to be fruitful and to multiply, and yet the, the humans have devoured one another. They've hoarded the fruit of the land and they've aimed to multiply it for their own deceit. And where God spoke of mercy and peace, man's word be, uh, comes to speak deceitfully and, and even change and break the, uh, the fairness and the, uh, of the land that God had meant to be operational. And, and see, this is something that we, we all wrestle with in, in our own hearts. We, this is something that we all wrestle with in our, in our relationships as well. And we see this throughout uh, 
the history of the world, but also the history of our own lives and families and churches. And one of the things we're left to wonder is, what is it that we're meant to do? If it's really God's judgment in the manner that Amos is speaking of here, what is it that we do? How do we get back to that good order? And, 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 and specifically, I wanted to focus on this concept of the Sabbath because I believe that what Amos is saying is that there is, despite the fact that God does remember and does bring his judgment, that rest in God's word is still the only way for us to return. See, God created the Sabbath, excuse me, God created the Sabbath for Israel to experience his fellowship and rest in his presence. The Sabbath gave them the chance to put down this striving, to, to, to go at the point of desire, instead of allowing that to, to grow and give, give, give life and space to sin, which gives birth to death. Instead of, instead of allowing that to go and continue to grow unnoticed and unprovoked and unchecked, what God's done is created within his order, within the very space of time, not just in the course of a day to, to, to stop and put our eyes upon him, to place our faith in him, but actually within the course of our weeks, our months and our years, He's given us Sabbath rest as a way of stopping, of ceasing our striving. Of saying, yes, we do recognize your judgment, but we also throw ourselves at your mercy, O God. And we look to rest in your word. God's pronouncement of judgment through Amos here is is undeniably frightening and terrifying. Not just the idea that, um, it, it, it of course strikes home for me in, in verse 10 when it says that uh, he will bring sackcloth to every waist and baldness on every head. I feel that one really strikes home for me. I wonder each day, why, oh God, I, 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 don't, I thought I had the mercies of Jesus, but instead I, I must have done something terribly wrong. What, um, my, uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, friend of my wife and I has actually said that in the fullness of time, either he will no longer need to have, uh, he, he will either have his, a full head of hair in heaven or he won't. His heart will be so full of uh, cured that he, he won't need a full head of hair. And I was like, that really helps me a lot to, as I read verses like this. But even getting beyond that, uh, in this declaration of judgment is is so is so full and, and clear that we we can't escape it except to throw ourselves at the mercies of Jesus, except to say to him that we we need him and, and that we need to seek for him. In verse 12, it says, they, will, they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, 
but they shall not find it. They seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Imagine, imagine a life like that. We don't have to look terribly far. I'm sure we, I'm sure perhaps, uh, perhaps we have people that spring to mind immediately who, who perhaps yourself in seasons past or in seasons current where the word of God is, uh, it, where you seek for it and it seems as though there, it has no attachment to your lives or, or, or perhaps that it has no connection at all. Perhaps you're not even seeking it out in any way. But what Amos is saying is, in fact, even as you look for it, it won't be there. God's word will be gone from you. That that is a judgment that goes far beyond. That that is the final judgment. That on that day, looking around and seeking God, it will be not there. And so we said, what, what do we do with that? That terrifying notion. What we do is we search for him now. While he will be found. And while his word is present. He created the Sabbath so that Israel could experience rest. And so we also get the chance to put down our strivings and focus our attention on God. The Sabbath then is not merely an obligation, but a privilege and a joyous provision from God himself. Notice too how, how practical the, nat- the nature of the Sabbath is. It brings to order the goodness of God and the rhythms of life. Six days for gathering what we need and one for resting. We're gathering together. Six days we're striving to provide what we need. And one day we're striving and seeking for the living God. Six days. Six days and one day. The fullness of this rest is found in God's word where we rest together under his scriptures, but also in God's word made flesh who dwelt among us, where God's judgment brought death in Christ on the cross. We set aside our worldly strivings to treat Jesus's love towards us as the provision of the fullness of life that he promises in his atoning death and sacrifice. And We rest in the Sabbath because what it does is it reminds us that the fullness of God's rest is to come. The church is perfected in Christ. We will dwell in God's new creation together. Free from sin. Free from curse. Free from bondage. Fully and completely. Eternally united with God in the fullness of his love. To adore him. To find full and complete and perfect joy. This is the unending and perfect Sabbath that we get to enjoy in part, even here and now. Our weekly Sabbath is a foretaste of this full rest that is to come. 
And today, I, I want to end by praying the Kalik for Sabbath because I, I think that it gives us this, this perfect picture, picture of what it means for us to, to be sanctified on this day, to set aside, to live a holy life, Sabbath rest in God's word together. So let us pray. Almighty God, who after the creation of the world rested from all your works and sanctified a day of rest for all your for your all your creatures, grant that we putting away all earthly anxieties may be duly prepared for the service of your sanctuary, and that our rest here upon earth may be a preparation for the eternal rest promised to your people in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.